are we doing this morning? Feeling good, huh? How about that sunshine outside, huh? Let's give it up for sunshine, huh? I drove here this morning and I saw leaves on trees and I was like, hey, leaves, how you guys doing, right? It's good to see him back. Welcome to Mercer Road. My name is Darren Early. I get a chance to be here once a month and, and, and teach. Stoked to be with you guys today. And we're going to go after it this morning just so we know. Okay, so if you're looking for like sermon light, if this is not your week. You just go home. All right. We're going to jump in. We got a lot of scripture. And uh, what I'm going to do is I want to teach you about something uh, that I don't do very well and tend to don't apply to my life as often as I should. Okay, so I'm just going to start. Be vulnerable. I'm not good at this. So if I get passionate about it, I'm not yelling at you. I'm kind of yelling at me as I yell at you. All right. So it's totally okay. Just go with it. All right. So I'm going to be vulnerable about what I don't do very well. And I'm going to ask that you be gracious to me in the process. That, that's not a good deal. Amen. All right. Here we go. So I've had a, a vivid imagination my whole life. It served me fairly well. You know, and, and I love imagining things, like coming up with stuff that kind of doesn't exist. You make it up. Like, how many of you guys remember as a kid when you would take, like, a, 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 a playing card and put it in the spokes of your, of your bike and it became a motorcycle, huh? Yes. Praise God. That was awesome, right? I mean, you just had this little huffy and you put a, a card right there and you were riding like a 250 Honda something. You could jump over stuff because you had a card in the spokes of your tires, right? I can remember building forts, those snow forts that weren't snow forts. I mean, these were military stations with like rocket launchers and crazy stuff, right? You guys remember that? Just imagining stuff. It was so much fun. I can even remember as like a little kid, I was probably like second grade. And I, I don't, this is weird. I'm not saying I'm normal, but I can remember laying in my bed and imagining that in my closet that there was like a secret door that I could open and like slide down the slide. And like there was a basement where there's a bunch of people down there and we just had like a party in the basement. It didn't exist. I just remember as a kid being like, what if there was a secret passageway to a party in my closet, <laughs> right? <laughs> but it served me well, Right? A couple years ago, I, I, I was in Bosnia and kind of started to imagine what it would be like to, to go to bars and tell people about Jesus. And we got to create a thing called pub theology. That was fun, right? And then a couple years ago, we started imagining, like, what if we talked to people on the radio about Jesus on a radio station where you're not really supposed to talk about Jesus? We got to create radio theology on ZPL. Like, I've, I've got to create some fun stuff out of, the, out of my imagination. But what I've come to realize about today's topic is that I think my overactive imagination has almost betrayed me. Because we've been talking about Imagine Heaven, and I love this series. I've learned a ton. All the speakers have been great. The book was great. And it's helped us kind of imagine heaven. And then like recently, right, that, that movie came out, I Can Only Imagine, off that song, right, Mercy Me song. Haven't seen the movie, hear good things about it. Dig the song. But I realized, prepping for this series and for this sermon, that's my problem, is I can only imagine heaven. I don't know about you guys, but a lot of times heaven is like kind of a figment of my imagination. Imagination, right? It says this, it's the faculty or action forming new ideas or images or concepts or external objects not present to the senses. So I think my issue is, is that in imagining heaven, it's just that. I, it's my imagination. It's not present to my senses. 
Like, I have my earthly life that I live, and most of the time I'm not all that aware of God's kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's just the stuff that I'm going through in my life, and God in heaven is kind of in my imagination somewhere doing something. But what I want to journey together with today is through a couple of scriptures that seem to, te- seem to teach us this morning. That not only is it God's desire, but God's design that our lives would be massively aware of heaven on earth and that we would actually actively be bringing heaven to earth in our life daily. So let's get into the word of God and see if that might be true. Because here's the deal. The reality that we're most aware of will dominate our thinking, our hoping, and our living. Got that from a great devotional this week. I love it when I'm reading a devotional and God's like, hey, you should use this on Sunday, right? (laughs) The reality that we are most aware of will dominate our thinking, our hoping, and our living. And when Jesus taught us to pray, he seemed to think we should be really aware of heaven as a reality on earth. Not our imagination. Jesus teaching us to pray. You guys remember the Lord's Prayer? Right? Some of you, you may be very new to church, but you may know the Lord's Prayer. Some of you may have grown up in church, and you may also be familiar with the Lord's Prayer. Often, though, we just think it's something cool that Jesus said, kind of in like a poetic moment, right? Not actual instruction on how to live and how to pray and interact with God. Jesus starts the Lord's Prayer like this. He says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Let's stop here for a second and deal with our first imagination problem. Our Father which art in heaven. The word could better be translated in the heavens, meaning all present in the, the, the atmosphere and universe and space that I'm in. So I'm saying, my Father, who are all around me, who are near me, not far from me, right here in the heavens. However, most of us, when we pray, think like this. Our Father, who art in heaven, somewhere way far away in my imagination. Jesus, God, hey, Father, way up. What's the furthest planet from the sun? Can anybody, is it Uranus? I don't know, is it? I don't know if it is. Let's just say it is. It's like we're hoping that somewhere on the backside of Uranus, right, that God is there and we might reach out far enough and he would hear us and we'd say, God, out there, far in the head, wherever imaginary planet, time, Jesus, God, Father is somewhere. I don't know about you, but if I'm in a problem in my marriage, in my parenting, in my career, like I could really use the presence of God. If, my, if I'm stuck where I imagine he is on the backside of Uranus, I don't think that I'm moving with a lot of confidence and faith and power in that moment. How about you? Jesus says, our father who art In the heavens, right here, present with us. And he says this, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is right now in heaven. Then he goes on and says this. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Let me be honest. 
oftentimes the first two lines to meet are just the cool intro that Jesus says. And when I pray it, I'm trying to figure out how to say hallowed. Have you been there before, right? Be like, would you like to pray with this? And you're like, our Father in heaven, I can't even say the hallowed. What is the word hallowed? You can't say it. No one ever says that, right? It's the intro part that I don't get. But then, so I don't even think about the first two lines so I can get to the good stuff, right? Like, give us today our daily bread, right? Like, we're getting down to money and chicken wings. Now we're talking about a prayer I can get down with, all right? Jesus, gonna need some provision today. And then it gets good. And forgive us our debts or our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And y'all know we've been doing some sinning. So we, that's, and that's an important one that I really tie into. Jesus, I'm going to need some forgiveness because of last week. And then we move on. And I definitely dive into the last thing. Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Because Lord knows I've been led into some temptation. Huh? Amen or oh me. All right, come on now. <clears throat> those other lines, I pray thinking, expecting that they will happen. The first intro that Jesus did, I guess that was poetic language about God being close and about me actually expecting his kingdom, the reign and kingdom of God to be present in this situation. And the realities that are in heaven would come to earth and change my awareness and change the atmosphere and change the reality of life. I don't think and pray like that much because all too often I'm just imagining heaven. How about you? Notice that Jesus didn't pray. Like he didn't say, and when you pray, pray like this. Dear Lord, please help me to imagine heaven. And if you could keep, if you could keep your kingdom and its power and authority as just something that is a figment of my imagination. And even that language, something that kind of crazy charismatic Christians say, I could just continue to pray weak, unpowerful, apathetic prayers that do very much of nothing in this universe. Amen. Because that's what I do sometimes. When's the last time you had a friend that was sick with a disease and you showed up and you prayed, Father, you're a good, good father. It's who you are. And I am loved by you and I am your son or daughter. And right now, in the living, powerful name of Jesus, I ask that your kingdom would come and your will be done in my friend's body and their body would begin to function on earth as it is in heaven. And I pray that with the authority that comes as a son or daughter of Jesus Christ, may your kingdom reign over a kingdom of sickness in this person's body. Or do we pray this? We pray for Stacy. You know the disease. God, if you just, if you can ever get on the return trip from Uranus, if you could just maybe bless Stacy. And help her, Lord. Just help Stacy. Maybe, if you could, or if my. Amen. Mm. Just move in the mountains here with our prayers. Maybe it's just me. Maybe it's just me. It seems, though, that from all the way in the book of Genesis, all the way through, God has been trying to get our attention and say, hey, my desire 
And the design of the universe here is that my kingdom would come to earth and reign and rule over all kingdoms. And then I want you to be aware of it. I want you to step into it, and I want it to change your reality. We start with the man named Jacob all the way in the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 28. Let's jump in. Here's the deal. He experienced heaven on earth, one of the first people to experience it like this, and the story goes. Jacob left Beersheba and sent out for Haran. He reached, <clears throat> when he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. And taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. Let me give you some context to the journey. Jacob is on a 400-mile journey, basically leaving massive dysfunction in his relationships at home. He has teamed up with his mom to completely deceive his dad and steal his older brother's blessing. Very deceptive, greedy. He had already stolen his brother's birthright with a bowl of soup. That's another story. And he's being basically sent away by his dad. And he's like, why don't you just go get a wife from back there so you don't screw anything else in our family up? My guess is the rest of the story wasn't what Jacob was imagining was about to happen because most of the time in my life, when I'm living deceiving people or in greed or causing dysfunction in the relationships around me, those are the moments when I find it most unimaginable that God would want to be present in my life. How about you? Because when I'm sinning and feeling bad, I assume that God doesn't want to be around me or I don't deserve his presence because I don't. But that's what grace is. This may be one of the greatest, earliest examples of grace in the Bible because grace in its purest is presence. And so now in a time that he didn't deserve it and he didn't earn it. Jacob is experiencing the presence of God, and it goes like this. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with his top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it, right? Heaven was coming to earth, okay? There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and I will give you the land. And I will give you the, sorry, and I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west and the east and the north and the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and, and your offspring. I am with you and I will watch over you wherever you go and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what you have promised. And when Jacob woke up from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it. That is me every day of the week. How about you? Theologically, it's actually correct. Like Monday morning, tomorrow, when you show up your job, you're going to go, I can't believe I got to go to this stupid job because Stacy's here and she, why is it always Stacy with me? I don't, if you're a Stacy, you may be an amazing woman. And I apologize that you are always the butt end of my terrible examples and my sermons. All right, let's change it. Stacy, you're okay. We're going to go with. Mary, all right? No, no, okay. You get to work, and that person is there, and you're like, I can't believe I got to go to work with this stupid person. I hate my job. No, you're going to get to work on Monday, and guess who's already at your job on Monday? The presence of God. But you just might not be aware of it. Jacob says, I wasn't aware of it. He said, he says, He was afraid and he said, how awesome is this place? There is none other. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. 
And early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head, and he set it up as a pillar, and he poured oil on top of it, and he called that place Bethel, meaning house of God. Then Jacob made a vow saying, I, if God will be with me and watch over me on this journey I am taking, will give me the food to eat and clothes to wear, so I will return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God, and this stone that I have set up at the pillar will be God's house. And all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. In this moment, Jacob experienced an encounter with the living God. And it changed his imagination. It changed his reality. It changed his awareness of his life. question I have for you is, have you ever had an encounter with the living God? Like one of those moments where God breaks into your life and you realize God's presence is here and I wasn't aware of it. If you never have, I believe it's possible, and I believe you might need one. Because what I'm beginning to realize the longer I live is that like things like counseling and education are great. I go to counseling every month. I love it. And it's really helped me. But you know what's helped me have the most breakthroughs in my life and healed me and changed me and moved me forward? Actual encounters with the presence of the living, powerful, almighty king of the universe present in my life, God. What I want to invite you to consider this morning is maybe having the courage to ask God to allow you to have an encounter with him. That it would change your awareness and your reality. See, Jacob has this moment, and, and, and he's one of the first people in the Bible to, to, to kind of make a, a memory of this moment. And, and he uses the word about that God's dwelling there, and he, it's, he uses the word that it's about a tabernacle, the word, okay? We don't use that a lot, but a tabernacle is basically a dwelling place of God. He was saying, this is the house of God now, that God is dwelling here with us. And he talks about a tabernacle. So hold on to that. It's going to come back and be important in just a minute. So this gate of heaven, right? A gate is a connection or transition point between heaven and earth, right? Where heaven's activity touches earth and God's presence changes the spiritual and natural realm. How aware are you of heaven on earth? Of God coming to, to, to reside and to move into the situations of your life? Because what you are most aware of will change your hoping, your thinking, you're dreaming, you're praying. In this moment, Jacob became very aware of God's presence. And it changed him going forward. But what does that look like for you and for me, right? Because <clears throat> I don't think this is a one-time Old Testament one-off. It seems to me, like I said before, that it is God's desire and his design that this is normative, and he was actually working a plan to see this happen. And it was fulfilled in its next iteration through the life of Jesus when Jesus became the gate of heaven. Let's check this out. We start in chapter 1 of John. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. The word word there is speaking of Jesus the idea of the word logos, or the, or the divine mind. And so right here, what John is saying, the first sentence he talks about Jesus, what he is letting us know is Jesus is God. So if we define heaven, right? Heaven basically is the perfect presence of God for eternity, okay? So when we get to heaven, we will be in the presence of God 
forever. That's heaven. This situation is the presence of God, because John is saying, right, the word was with God, right? He was God from the beginning. Jesus is God. And let's see what this says happens to Jesus, who is God. It goes on, says, through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that's been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Skip down to verse 14, and he says this, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full grace and truth. The word dwelling there, it's the word tabernacled. In this moment, John is saying, here's the deal. Just like back in Jacob's ladder, when God came in this moment and dwelt with him, now Jesus is God and heaven has come to earth and made its dwelling. God is dwelling on earth. His kingdom has come. His will is being done on earth as it is in heaven because heaven has come to earth. Now, in this moment, Jesus becomes the house of God. The cool thing about this is every time Jesus did any of his miracles, what he was doing is he was bringing the kingdom of God or heaven as it was in him, as in his fullness to bear upon the kingdom of this world. And he was making things as they should be. So he was taking authority over spirits and over diseases, over nature, because he was making things on earth as they are in heaven. Now, Jesus even connects himself back to the story in Genesis 28. Let's get a little, more, a little more Bible in us, okay? When Jesus calling Nathanael to be his disciple, when Jesus approached Nathanael, he said to him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me, Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Right, Nathaniel's becoming aware of the presence of God. Jesus says, you believe because I told you, I saw you under a fig tree, you will see even greater things than that. Right, He's starting to expand Nathaniel's imagination about what could be real in life. Very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Sounds a lot like the Jacob situation. Now, I'm going to stretch you for here. For a minute, okay? Jesus is God, but we believe that Jesus was fully man and fully God. He was the dwelling place of God. <clears throat> Do you believe that Jesus was a one-off kind of weird thing that happened? Or is Jesus's life possibly, is it at least possible that Jesus is actually the prototype first created prototype of a new type of human being where the old is gone but the new has come and now humans are able to actually become houses of God temples of God where God's presence dwells because if Jesus is a weird just accident where a human was able to be indwelt with the presence of God 
The idea that you could do anything like Jesus did will stay as a figment of your imagination. However, if Jesus, as he said, was the first fruit of a new prototype of human being that's actually the original creation of God indwelling human beings so that the fullness of God is in you, heaven is in you, God's kingdom is in you, and you bring it to bear in your life, you might actually fulfill the thing Jesus says that you would do the things he was doing and even greater than that. But if it's a figment of your imagination, you will never experience that. And when you never experience that, your relationships, your family, your addiction, your brokenness, your apartment complex, your life, your business, your reality will never experience God's kingdom come. His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus wants to change your reality. You see, Jesus isn't just changing your eternity. He wants to change your reality. Let me say it again. Jesus doesn't just want to change your eternity. He wants to change your reality. Day-to-day reality. Check it out. We're going to dive into John 14. And the first part of it is awesome, but we usually stop there with our imagination. Let's jump in. John chapter 14. I want to change your reality this morning. Okay? Jesus is teaching the disciples, and he comforts them, and he says this. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I'm, I would have told you. But I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you can be where I am. You know the way to the place I am going. Now, that's beautiful, isn't it? Jesus has gone into eternity to prepare a place for us in heaven. Here's what happens to most of us in, in, in the church culture that many of us grew up in. We stop there, and from that point, we begin living for eternity. Meaning that I don't have to go to hell anymore. Woo! And I hope Jesus comes back soon before I screw my life up too bad. So I just live to get to eternity. Okay? Reading a book this week by Chris Volatine, he said this statement, and you write this one down, you're going to think about it all week. He said this, what if we stopped living for eternity and began living from eternity? Meaning that I am already an eternal being because of my stance and, 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 and connection to Jesus Christ. So I'm not living around waiting to go to eternity. I'm already in it and I'm bringing God's heaven, his eternal kingdom to earth through my life. Illustration I read this week made this get real practical. Like, Because he wants to change your reality, not just your eternity. Here's the deal. Most of the people who made major, innovative, life-changing, shape-our-reality breakthroughs in the past generation, like people like Steve Jobs, right, Bill Gates, like the, 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 begin, the guys that really came up with the internet, most of these people who created things that now completely shape our reality, most of them not even close to Christians, agnostic, atheist, or other. Culturally, We did not see a lot of innovative breakthrough in reality by Christians in the past 50 or 60 years. You want to know why? Here's my hypothesis. Reading in an article this week, it made a lot of sense. Because our eschatology screwed up our ability to actually change the future. Eschatology is a big, huge theological word about the end of time. 
So if you grew up in church in the past 60 years, you may have heard things like turn or burn, right? You got to come to Jesus right now. Or you're going to burn in hell. And guess what? Let's just, let's just give our life to Jesus and get our fire insurance and just hope we get out of here. And because Jesus, he, God's going to just destroy the earth with fire anyway. So why take care of the environment or come up with new ideas? Let's just sit around and wait for Swing Low Sweet Chariot to come down and get us so we can check out of this godforsaken hell in a handbasket world. You may have heard that sermon before at an actual church. So if Jesus is just waiting to set this world on fire and you're just waiting to get out of here because you're living for eternity, baby, guess what you don't care about coming up with? New innovative ideas that might make life actually see God's kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven because you just want this place to burn anyway. What if Jesus doesn't come back for another 200 years? It's possible. I don't know when he's coming back. If you do, you don't. But what if the next 200 years, people that were actually tabernacles of God, indwelt with the heart and the mind of Christ, the righteousness of Jesus Christ, the sons and daughters of Jesus Christ, what if they woke up every day and they said, you know what, I am a tabernacle, I'm dwelt with, indwelt with the Holy Spirit. So God, what ideas do you have on your mind today? What innovations do you want to see that, that with, within nursing or within acting or within the, the, the arts or within uh, uh, teaching or within science, whatever my field is, what do I need to do right now, God, that we can actually see your kingdom begin to change the reality of the sphere of this part of society what if in the next 200 years the history books say all of a sudden all these christians started acting like they were indwelt with the spirit of god and began creating a future that looked a lot like heaven on earth it's at least possible but it's only possible if you actually believe what jesus keeps saying jesus goes on he says i am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the father except through me if you really knew me, you would know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the father and that will be enough for us. And Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the father. And how can you say, show us the father? Don't you believe that I am in the father and the father is in me? The words that I say to you, I don't speak of my own authority. Rather, it's the father living in me who is doing his work, right? His kingdom is coming. His will is being done because I am the tabernacle of God. God's spirit dwells within me and I'm just doing what I hear him say to do. And, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm fulfilling that. He says, very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. What? Believe me. When I say that I'm in the Father, the Father is me, or at least believe in the evidence of the work. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these. Well, Jesus seems to think that you and me might even do greater things than, than he did? Well, that's not my reality. I'm just hoping to get to church on Sunday. What do you mean? Well, Jesus did stuff like heal people. Jesus did stuff like, you know, miracles and, and stuff. And Jesus, like, raised people from the dead. Like, Jesus forgave people and, and loved them with such a generosity that, that it completely changed their awareness of the presence of God and their reality. Like, Jesus was so generous that he... It, very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing. 
They will do even greater things because I'm going to the Father and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask for anything in my name and I will do it. If you love me, keep my commands and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. I'll not leave you as orphans. I will come and before long the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live, you will also live. And on that day, you will realize that I'm in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me, and the one who loves me will be, the one, will be loved of my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Oh, it gets even better. Listen to this. Then Judas asks a question, not Judas Iscariot, the other Judas. He says, but Lord, why do you intend to show us yourself and not to the world? And Jesus says, anyone who loves me will obey my teachings, and my Father will love them, and we will, <coughs> and we will come to them and make our home with them. You are a tabernacle of God. Your life is heaven coming to earth through God's spirit in your life. It goes on, like it even gets better, right? Because he talks about it in, in 1 Corinthians 2. Or didn't you realize that your body is a sacred place, the place of the Holy Spirit? Don't you see that you can't live however you please, squattering what God paid such a high price for? The physical part of your body is not some piece of property belonging to the spiritual part of you. God owns the whole thing. So let people see God and and through your body. Friends. If this is just an imaginary, imaginate, imagine thing, we will never step into the reality that Jesus paid for with his life. I want you to become aware of the fact that God is present in this room, in this world. I want you to become aware of the fact that he actually wants to, to love you, to be close to you and indwell you, that your life, that when you show up anywhere, you actually are bringing the indwelt presence of God, that your life, the way you love and give and serve and pray and have faith to move out, your life actually brings God's kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But if we don't believe it, if we're not aware of it, it will never change our reality. So as we close this morning, here's what I'm going to ask. Would you be willing to ask God for an encounter with him today, this week? Can I be super, super honest with you? Pastors aren't supposed to say what I'm getting ready to say. Sometimes I don't want to have encounters with God. You want to know why? Because I like to do what I like to do. And sometimes I like to be spiritually lazy. And sometimes I don't want to deal with the weight of responsibility of bringing God's kingdom to earth. Sometimes I just want to play video games. So all I know to do is humbly be honest with God and say, God, you told me to pray 
that your kingdom would come and your will would be done. And you said that I'm a tabernacle of God. And, and, and right now, God, I, I need you to bring me an encounter with your spirit so I'm so aware of you and it changes my imagination. It changes my reality. Because in the depths of my soul, God, I really do want to be the man of God you called me to be, that you died for me to be. And God, I believe all of us here today, we, in the depths of our hearts, we want that. But Father, we get caught in this battle of sin, our sinful nature battling against our your spirit in us. So I ask today, God, that we could, could have an encounter with you that it's just, maybe it's just the next step of awareness. It stretches our imagination just a little bit further till we believe what's actually possible as a son or daughter of God. And if you're here this morning and you, and you, you, you need to become more aware of it, it's not just a hope, you, you pray, but then there's some planning. Like, do you have any spiritual disciplines? Do you have any rhythms in your life that help you be in his presence regularly? It's where you might want to start. And it might be that you, you, you press into your reality, which means you take risks, which means you might actually pray for someone to get healed, even though it terrifies you. You might pray for supernatural provision for your family, even though it stretches your faith. 